Did you know that seven out of the top 10 killers in the United States are preventable? On today's episode, we're gonna dive deep into five powerful practices to avoid disease and build unshakable health with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. Here we go. You know, you go to your doctor today and you say, hey doc, you know, how do I prevent heart disease? How do I not get this thing that kills most people? I mean, men and women, number one cause of death in the world. It is 90 plus percent preventable. And most Western trained physicians are not saying a single thing about it. You know, they might say in passing, well, diet and exercise and take these pills, whatever they are, blood pressure pill, cholesterol pill, whatever. And that's it. And that's that is not it. I'm here to tell you today that there is so much more that we can do. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much for pressing play today. I am super grateful. I have a ton of vitamin G gratitude for you today. On today's episode, we bring on Dr. Thomas Hemingway, who's a physician, husband, father of six. He's a surfer, podcaster, health expert, and he has a brand new book titled Preventable. I love it. I love the topic. I always talk about the Einstein quote, right? Intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. We want to be proactive, not reactive. So when we look at disease out there, many of the top killers, especially in the United States, are preventable. And it's not your genetics. It's something else. It's the epigenetic response. And we're going to talk about that. So here are some of the topics we covered today. You are going to love today's episode. We'll first get into his backstory, going the traditional route, uh, conventional medicine, some of the pivots that he's done along the way. And then we're going to get into those five powerful practices. And he outlines them in his book as FMSGs. Okay, what does that mean? F stands for food first. So we'll cut through all the noise out there and what is actually healthy to eat uh, we'll talk about plant toxins and oxalates and how there can be a hormetic benefit for some people and why some other individuals want to avoid these plant toxins. That's the F, food first. Then we get into M, which is movement. Movement is fundamental, and we'll talk about some practical ways that he recommends you move your body each day. The S is sleep. Sleep is also paramount and fundamental to good health. We'll talk about the amazing processes that occur during quality sleep, how to track your sleep metrics, how to improve those sleep metrics, and so much more. The G is all about gut 
health, the gut microbiome. We'll talk about the digestive system. He'll give you some great tips on how to improve your digestive health. And the S is stress. Stress comes in three different areas, mental, emotional, chemical, and physical. We'll touch upon all three. We'll get into some great information here that I have extracted from his book. His book, by the way, is called Preventable, and it is available for pre-order. It's going to be available very, very soon. I have my pre-order or uh, order in, and I'm, I can't wait to get it into my hands as well. But you could get it over at thepreventablebook.com. We will include a link down below for you to get it. Just a reminder, if you want to watch the video format of today's interview with Thomas and all of our interviews can be found on the YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel is our number one platform, I believe. We're releasing videos every single day, three short today and two full-length interviews per week and other things in between. So you could go to youtube.com slash keto camp to subscribe to the channel, watch the videos. We'll drop a link for you in the podcast notes down below. Before I bring on Thomas, I want to get to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. Today's review comes from HFeather7. It's a five-star review titled Powerful Seeker of Healthful Truths. Here's what Feather wrote. So thankful and encouraged by the science-based information you share. The Keto Camp Podcast and the Keto Camp Academy are a wealth of nutritional information that is insightful and life-changing. I am so grateful you're a Keto Camp Academy student and you listen to the show. Thank you so much, Feather. If you want to learn more about our Keto Camp Academy, which is our signature course to get coaching from me and our Keto Camp coaches, which is Coach Becky, Coach John, Coach Alina, we have an amazing community, a full structure built out on what I teach and we do some cool things in there every month, new challenges, etc. Head over to ketocampacademy.com to learn more about our signature course. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review on whatever platform you're listening from right now, please pause the episode and do so. Maybe I'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Okay, let's dive right into the conversation on how to be preventable and create unshakable health. Dr. Thomas Hemingway is on a mission to help the world up-level their health. He graduated from the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine in 2002 with a doctor of medicine degree and then completed a residency in emergency medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles in 2006. He received his board certification in emergency medicine from the American Board of Emergency Medicine in 2007. He has a special interest in holistic health and wellness, preventable medicine, and nutrition. He has a medical license in the state of Hawaii, California, and Utah. Here is Dr. Thomas Hemingway. Thomas Hemingway, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Oh, man. It's such a pleasure to be here, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. You have a very interesting story. And I, I love stories like yours. Conventionally trained, you went to school in uh, San Diego. And uh, you made a pivot along the way out of the conventional box. And I respect that so much because a lot of practitioners that are in the conventional sense, they might see the writing on the wall, but to make that decision to pivot, I imagine could be a really hard thing to do. So I'd love for you to just share your story, how you went from being more of a conventional, after the fact, treating symptoms sort of doctor to being more preventative now. Yeah, no, I would love to share that. And actually, to be honest, in full disclosure, I've always been 
kind of natural minded in my own thinking. But, you know, when you go to medical school in the 1990s, that's just not how it's done back then. I mean, everything is about pathophysiology. You, you arrive at some diagnosis and some treatment, which is typically a pharmaceutical. Like that's just how it was taught. I went to UC San Diego, uh, top 10 medical school, graduated top of my class with honors, all the things. But I did take, interestingly enough, a course there that at the time, you know, I, for me, it wasn't new, but it was for many of my colleagues was like way out of left field. And at that time, we called it alternative medicine. So what sort of holistic, integrative, functional medicine as we know it today, back in those days, we called it alternative medicine. You know, it's kind of the East versus the West. There was this tension, you know, one did not accept the other. They seem to be mutually exclusive, which is totally not the case. And so I've always kind of been sort of naturally minded. I mean, as a kid, I used to read books, for example, I think one of my first exposures was uh, that book called Quantum Healing uh, by Deepak Chopra. In my teens, I read that book. And I'm like, oh, this, this has some cool stuff. And Ayurveda, I, all of those things were familiar to me, but it certainly was not taught in medical school. <laughs> like, absolutely not. You know, we, we were taught a pill for every ill, as they say. And, you know, it was sort of like a diagnose and adios. You know, we would get the prescription pad out give whatever the treatment du jour was, and it was typically a pharmaceutical, and then we'll see you in three months, you know, type of thing. And I actually um, had a different sort of uh, experience because I'm a board-certified emergency physician. So I've worked most of my time in hospitals, clinics, and uh, whatnot in the ER, in the emergency setting. And I'm actually very proud of what we can do here in this country in our emergency care. I really think we have state-of-the-art amazing trauma care, for example, acute MI, acute stroke, heart attack, stroke, these kinds of emergency problems, we actually deal with quite well. But here's the thing. So about a decade ago, when I turned 40, I was starting to see patients younger than I, both men and women, come in with things like first-time heart attack, first-time stroke. Some even die of sudden cardiac death who were younger than I was at the time. And I'm turning 50 next year. So I feel like, holy crap, something is wrong here. Like we shouldn't be dying of a heart attack in our 30s and 40s, even 50s for that matter. Like this, when I was trained in the 90s, this was a disease of the elderly. I would see people in their 70s and 80s die of a heart attack, but certainly not in their 40s and rarely 50s and certainly not 30s. I mean, I don't think I ever saw a single person in you know my training that died of a heart attack in their 30s. And, and I've seen a bunch, sadly, um, present day. So I decided like, you know what, we as a Western medicine world here in the US, especially, we've got to do something different. I mean, you're probably familiar with this uh, statistic, but about three years prior to COVID for the first time in over 100 years, certainly the first time in our recent human history, our life expectancy here in the US started to go down. And each and every year has continued that trend and even more so big surprise, right? During COVID, it went down even further. And this literally is the first time in our recent history in well over a hundred years that this has ever happened. We are the most unwell, the most sick, the most obese, you know, we're dying younger. And it's in spite of all of the technology, all of the information, you know, all that we have available to us, we're doing a really crappy job in Western medicine. I'm, I'm frankly embarrassed for my MD physician colleagues that we just haven't been doing enough. You know, you go to your doctor today and you say, hey, doc, you know, how do I prevent 
heart disease? How do I not get this thing that kills most people? I mean, men and women, number one cause of death in the world. It is 90 plus percent preventable. And most Western trained physicians are not saying a single thing about it. You know, they might say in passing, well, diet and exercise and take these pills, you know, whether whatever they are, blood pressure pill, cholesterol pill, whatever. And that's it. And that's that is not it. I'm here to tell you today that there is so much more that we can do. Most of it we can do without medication within the confines of our own home and naturally and simply. So that's what I love to share about today is how we can prevent these top and leading causes of death worldwide because there is so much we can do. So I love that. You're so right. There is. And it reminds me of the quote from Einstein. Einstein said, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. And your book coming out is all about becoming a genius and being preventable and being proactive, not reactive. But you know what? Even though we know that it's not genetics that runs the show, we know that genetics plays a role, but it's not the primary role, right? It's very small. And even though we know that, the research proves it, we could talk about this study, that study, we see it in our day to day, even though we know this, recently, there's this lady who's now the government, uh, doing the government guidelines, she was on 60 Minutes recently saying that the reason we're obese is a genetic problem. That's why it doesn't matter if you eat healthy or sleep or improve, it's a genetic problem. And she's spouting this on 60 Minutes. And this is recently, it's like, is it just they're ignoring the science or doing it intentionally because it's going to help make, make a lot of money or they're confused? Like, what is going on here? It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think it's all of the above. And sadly, there's a lot of, I feel like, you know, there's two camps. One are the well-informed, or, or should I say, the well-intentioned, poorly informed you know, specialists out there, be it a physician or, or even, for example, nurses, nutritionists that just haven't really received the training. Because I know I didn't in medical school. They didn't teach me how to prevent disease. They taught me how to name a disease. You know, all of these thousands of diagnoses, I got to learn how to name them, diagnose them, and then how to treat them with the conventional way, which is usually a pharmaceutical. So I don't blame them for that. What I do blame them for is not accepting the newer data. Because like you said, there's tons of data out there that really speaks to how we can actually get down deep to the root cause and prevent these illnesses like heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, uh, lung disease, um, neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, you name it. These are all largely preventable. And for somebody to say at that level, that's got that much influence that this is just simply a genetic thing and we got to treat it with medication and surgery, even in children as young as 30, 13 years old, like, I'm sorry, I reject that. I reject that. There is so much that we can actually do. And it's sad to see the powers that be, you know, speaking a completely different, you know, language, if you will, with respect to this. And it's not based on solid data. So it's, you know, just like you said, and I agree with you, you know, over 90% of these conditions can be prevented and are not really truly in the genes. I mean, there's this whole thing called, you know, epigenetics, right? It's above the genome. It's what we do and what we don't do. All of our behaviors that decide whether these genes get turned on or off. And that is completely ignored by people such as this that just spoke last week on 60 Minutes and in the recent, you know, headlines on how we should be treating obesity in children with pharmaceuticals and with surgery. And there was not a thing about what lies at the tip of their fork? Like, what the heck are they eating? You know, the studies show it 67% of the 
calories in kids, 67% is not only processed food, but ultra processed food. In my book, that's not even real food. I consider that a food-like substance. It's not even real food. It's all the crap that's in the center of the grocery store that comes in a bag, a box, or with a barcode that's full of processed ingredients, whether it be a sugar, a flour, a seed oil, whatever it is, it's garbage. And 67% of our children's diet is composed of that. And that's why we have the issue. It's not a genetic thing. Give me a break. Yeah, it's super sad, super sad. 100%. 100% agree with you, Doc. You know, and we, we, I know you spoke about this gentleman before, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who I love. I always lecture about him. I had actually had, I had the privilege of interviewing him a couple years ago. And he has shown that the intelligence is not the DNA nucleus. He could remove it. The cells will function for a couple months just fine. But when the membrane gets disordered, when the membrane dysfunctions where those integral membrane proteins, receptor sites are, then there's a signal sent to the DNA for this stimulus. And it could be a negative stimulus if it's a negative input, right? But that is the environmental input. It comes with our thoughts, it comes with the foods, it comes with our toxins, and that's exactly what you talk about. So the mentality that it's just your genes and telling people it's, you know you need medication because it's just a genetic thing, it's a victim mindset, number one. It really releases people from taking responsibility. And like you referenced, the foods were given children. In When I went to school, I, I remember seeing, you know, these food trucks and these soda machines and vending machines. And it was it's just not real food. It's Franken food. And I always say, human beings are the only species smart enough to actually create their own food, but dumb enough to actually eat yeah. it. So <laughs> let's let's get into, I love your message because and your new book because it's about being proactive and not reactive. And it's called Preventable, Five Powerful Practices to Avoid Disease and Build Unshakable Health. I just pre-ordered my copy today and I cannot wait to get it. But I want to know, what are those five principles, Doc? Yeah, yeah. So we'll do a super quick kind of bullet point here. But as any good medical student, I developed a mnemonic, which is a memory tool, right? A memory aid. And so it's F MSGs, right? We all hate MSG anyway. We got to avoid that. Throw on an S at the end. And F MSG. So F is food, right? Food first. Food is either the best possible medicine, best nutrients we could ever have, or food could be a slow poison. And we get to make that decision each and every day. The cool thing here, Ben, is my focus is always on what we can add to our diet rather than subtract. Because most people don't know this, but literally the human race, the human species can consume over 200,000 different, for example, vegetables, fruits, plants of the earth, and so on. Even more when you add in the proteins and all of the fermented foods, it's coming up to a number darn near 300,000 edible foods out there. And guess how many we consume as humans on average, not just in a year or, or what have you, but over our lifetime. Guess how few we consume? Uh, less than 100. Yeah, it's about 200. However, there are only four different species of plants that make up over 60% of humans' diet, right? It's the corn, it's the wheat, it's the soy and rice. Those four things sadly make up nearly 60% of all of the calories that we as humans eat. It's pathetic. It's terrible. And literally today, 2023, we are starving in a sea of plenty. We are overfed and undernourished. And, you know, two decades ago when I did my training, you know, hunger was a huge problem. Starvation and all these different nutrient deficiencies, kwasha core that happens in sub-Saharan Africa and all these types of nutritional deficiencies, which we certainly still have nutritional deficiencies, but we were literally starving. Today, obesity is the leading cause of morbidity 
worldwide. Every disease process gets increased in number, quantity, and severity if you are overweight. So whether that be your diabetes, your heart disease, your cancer, your susceptibility to neurodegenerative conditions, we are literally starving for nutrients in a sea of plenty. We are overfed and undernourished, and that did not used to be the case. But here's the thing. It's so easy to change it up. All you got to do, number one, eat real food, single ingredient real food, and add something new each and every week. That's all I challenge our listeners today. Take one thing this week that you you haven't eaten before, say a new vegetable, a new fruit. For example, I'm going to be in Hawaii next week and I'm going to search for, it's going to be a little hard because I've lived 30 years in Hawaii. So when I go to a farmer's market, I've tried just about everything there, but I bet you I could find one thing next week that I've never had before. And it might be some local variety of lychee or rambutan or one of these exotic fruits or something, but I'm going to find something next week. I'll post about it that I will have new and I will try and I'll incorporate it into my diet. So that's what I'm asking each of us. Just one thing a week, one new thing. Hopefully it's something that's a single ingredient food, something that's real that either grows in the, in the ground or that is well-sourced, be it a protein and what have you. There are so many things out there that we have to choose from. And there's really only three to avoid. So that's all I'm going to tell our listeners, three things to focus on you know, taking out of our diet and then all of the other wonderful, colorful vegetables, fruits, and protein sources that are well-sourced add into your diet. And so it's real simple. Avoid the highly processed sugars. Anything that has high fructose corn syrup, even these so-called natural sugars like agave syrup, brown rice syrup, it's all sugar at the end of the day. It's all highly processed. It's actually the leading cause of liver transplant today is what's called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, NAFLD. And when I did my training, it was alcoholic liver disease that was the number one cause of transplant. Now it's literally fatty liver from eating too much sugar. We as Americans eat nearly 130 some odd pounds of sugar mm -hmm. per year. It's out of control. It's pathetic. We got to stop it. And so it doesn't matter what kind of colorful name. It's organic cane sugar. It's agave syrup. Doesn't matter. We need to limit our sugar intake. That's number one. Number two, we got to avoid the highly processed grains and flours. Gluten is the tip of the iceberg. Yes, we should avoid it. We should avoid the corns and all the highly processed uh, grains. And then the third is the seed oils. Anything that says vegetable oil, you got to avoid it like the plague. And if you think about it, you know, there's eight or nine of these. There's, you know, the canola, the safflower, the sunflower, the soybean oil, the vegetable oil, the grapeseed oil, the rapeseed oil, the brown rice, you know, all of these oils that are out there that come from extensive processing. So if you take a seed, you know, say it's a little uh, rapeseed that creates canola oil, it's a teeny tiny little seed. And if you can imagine how the heck do you get a whole giant gallon container of this at Costco and they sell it for $5, this stuff can't be good for you. I mean, it's literally processed with high pressure, high heat, solvents, uh, bleach, detergents, deodorizers, all of these just gnarly chemicals are used in its processing. Why? Because that stuff comes rancid. And they're trying to trick you through the bleaching, through the deodorizing, that this stuff is pure. You know, you can see through it. It looks great. It doesn't have to be kept in a dark glass container like olive oil, for example, which you know if that stuff is rancid because you can sniff it. You can tell, of course. Oh, it smells a little, oh, okay, that stuff, I'm not going to get it. But extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, and coconut oil are my three favorites because what does it take to produce those, Ben? Just simple pressure. You squeeze the fruit, bang, you got olive oil, you got avocado oil, you got coconut oil. That's it. It's simple. It can be that simple. And of course, the natural grass-fed, you know, butters, ghees, tallows, you know, suet, all that is fine too. If you consume animal products, I'm totally cool with that. But all the highly processed crap, you gotta avoid. So that's it. Three things you avoid. You add everything else. And I'm all about the rainbow, man. I eat all the plants, all the vegetables, all the fruits, all the proteins. 
all the things. You know, there's so much polarization, so much noise out there. You know, one guy says you got to do all carnivore. The other guy says, no, it's got to be all vegan. And the other person says, well, should be pescatarian. And the other person says it's got to be. You know what? The cool thing, Dan, is we are all different. We are all unique. We come from a different upbringing. We tolerate different food, you know, foods differently. And so any combination that's working for you, and if you're thriving, stick with that. I'm not telling you to change if you're thriving. If you're not thriving, you got to at least throw out those three right? The sugars, the, the grains, flours, and the seed oils. You throw out those three and you add real food and sky's the limit. There's so much more to add rather than subtract. So that's, that's the food thing. Food first, real food, you know, and, and ingredients do matter. I try to stick to the single ingredient stuff. And if I do buy stuff with ingredients, you got to avoid those big three that I talked about. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? This may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but wild pasture meats are better for you nutritionally and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and... $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal, and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. 
before we move on to the other, uh, the MSGs, um, it's great to lay that out there. It's super simple, right? It's like three things to avoid. Processed sugars, that includes agave syrup and all these like fancy organic agave stuff. It's still sugar. Processed carbohydrates in terms of like grains and flowers, especially wheat. We know that's bastardized in the U.S., and then the seed oils are a big one. I talk a lot about that. And when you go to restaurants, here's what I did. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna love this. Well, first of all, what I do at restaurants, it drives my fiance crazy because it embarrasses her. But I always tell the waiter, the server, hey, me and my fiance, we're allergic to seed oils. Can you use the butter, the ghee, whatever it is? And usually they make that request. But my idea was, okay, how could I make this easy for people? So I created this. I don't know if you could see it. It's yeah. a seed oil. Let me, let me make it bigger here. Like a seed oil guide or something. It's a, allergy it's card. Allergy yes, card. I love it. Yes, tell it's me. It's an allergy card. So it says... You can't breathe. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it says allergy card. Dear chef, please, I need to avoid the following eight oils. So it shows those inflammatory ones. And then if you could swap it for these and uh, healthier options, thank you for keeping me safe. You show this to the waiter, it, like makes it simple, right? So I, I love that swap. And love then, it. I love it. And then here's the, I agree with you when it comes to diet variation and changing the food to eat. We think about our ancestors, that's what they did. They're, they did carnivore sometimes, they did keto sometimes, they got out of ketosis, they did the vegan. So I'm for that. And let me ask you this, I have a couple of questions. First of all, the question is, is your reasoning behind eating different fruits and vegetables to create more gut diversity? And if it is, what do you say to those people who are doing strict carnivore and they're like, ah, my diversity is fine. Like what, what do we see with the diversity of people who are eating one diet long-term and is that your goal to increase diversity? Yeah, so, um, well, what's interesting and there's actually data for both rationales. You know, the carnivore guys will find data that says, look, you can be full carnivore and you can have, you know, increased alpha diversity of your gut microbiota as well. And the guys that are eating, you know, heavy, heavy plants will say the same thing. And so they kind of fight about it. And it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of a tug of war and we can always look for the data that supports our thinking. My personal, you know, thought on this is that, you know, some marriage between the two is probably the best. So I, I really feel like our bodies respond well to diversity in so many things, not just the food, right? We just crave it. We crave variety. Like that's one thing that I personally think would I would struggle with a lot if I only did carnivore. And believe me, I eat plenty of meat. I had a ribeye the other night. I had fish last night. When I go to Hawaii, I eat fish almost every night. Like I eat meat, like no problem. I make sure to try to get it well sourced as best I can because that does matter. But I, I don't feel like, you know, we should be complete polarizing to one camp or another. I feel like our bodies were made to eat all different things because like you said, you know, past generations, we foraged, we hunted, you know, and one day maybe we had meat available and then maybe we didn't have it for two or three weeks. We couldn't find anything to hunt and we had to just gather whatever tubers, berries, you know, whatever we happened to find plant matter basically. And we ate that and guess what? We did fine. And so I really think that the polarization, not only is it unnecessary, it's just not helpful. You know, they're just fighting. The camps are always fighting. It's like, oh, there's no middle ground. It's like, you know what? You can eat it all provided it's well-sourced, it's single ingredient food, you know, try to avoid the GMO stuff that's pesticide laden and all that kind of stuff. And I really feel like our bodies do thrive from that diversity. And the studies do show that with respect to the microbiome flourishes when it's fed the different vegetables, plant matter, you know, fruits, the, the, the diversity, it's called the alpha diversity, it goes up. Like it's, it's hard to refute that. And the carnivore guys will say, well, look at this tribe and 
maybe it's the Hadza and they went a certain period of time and they didn't have anything but meat and their alpha diversity is great too. Well, the Hadza also eats plants, they eat tubers, they eat whatever's available to them, you know? So it's the data, I think you can use it to prove either way. And I, I feel like it's a big miss to use this polarization to support one camp or another when our bodies literally thrive off this kind of variety, whether it's the microbiota in the gut that we're speaking of, or it's just a variety of nutrients that are available. And yes, you can get a ton of nutrients if you eat liver. Like liver is like a superfood, but you just can't eat too much of it, right? Because number one, it's hard to cook in a way that, you know, we don't have to do this when we eat it. I mean, it's it's a little challenging. <laughs> I, I struggle a little bit still. My mom used to, you know, cook liver for me and, and I, I try to use her recipes because I'm familiar with that at least, but I'm still not great at it, you know? I sometimes will take a capsule that has liver in it just because it's just easier and I don't have to, you know, do this kind of thing because <laughs> it's hard to, hard to gulp down. But uh, yeah, I really feel like there's value in both and the, the better the variety that you get, be it a protein source or a fruit or vegetable source, the better. Our bodies thrive off of that. Well said. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Usually the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? And, and you said it well yeah. earlier. You said, look, if you're doing well and you're healthy and thriving and you're doing carnivore, then you know, maybe you keep doing it. But if you feel mm -hmm. off and some labs are off, then it might be time to make a change. But be honest with yourself. That's the important thing. So F is food first. Avoid those three items, add in real food, and change the foods that you're eating. What is the M in the MSGs? Yeah, so F, MSG. M is for movement. And that could be anything. You know, people always ask me, Doc, you know, what's the best exercise for me? I mean, honestly, it's what you will do each and every day. We should move our bodies every single day in some way, shape, or form. And right now in my, you know, fifth decade, it's been walking. That's my go-to because no matter where I am in the world, I got two legs. I know how to do that. I'm a biped just like you and I. We, we know how to do this. It's so easy. But what I've decided to do is not only incorporate this daily into my practice, but the timing of it. So every time I eat something, I either go for a five-minute walk or right now I happen to be in Utah visiting my mom where it's sub-zero temps in the early mornings and also in the evenings. So what my kids and I do, we literally eat dinner and we put on two of our favorite songs on our playlist. And we just have a dance party in the middle of the living room. And like, I may be, you know, putting up some dumbbells. I may be dancing. My girls are certainly dancing. I'm just not a very good dancer, but we have a little dance party in the living room. and It's a lot of fun. Two songs worth. That's about six to eight minutes, depending on how long the songs are. And what's, what's really cool, Ben, is I've had the blessing Recently, I've used a CGM myself. My daughter is on a continuous uh, CGM because she has type 1 diabetes. This was just diagnosed one month ago. And so she has had significant improvement in her glucose spikes after meals when we do our little dance party, when we do our movement. I mean, it's profound. She used to have pretty peak, you know, peaky <laughs> spikes after meals. And, and now she just has like little blips because every time we eat, we know it's just what we do. We do some kind of movement for about five to 10 minutes. And that can be done even indoors if the weather is inclement and it's super freezing cold, whatever. You can do your favorite two songs and just move your body to those songs, whatever you want to do, you know, air squats, you know, if you're into burpees or lunges, you know, or planks or pick up some dumbbells or, or whatever. The second thing that I'm doing right now as I talk with you is I'm standing up. I have a standing desk and it's not actually a real standing desk. It's a regular desk and I got a stack of books that I put my laptop on top of. Sometimes it's a cardboard box from Amazon if I get a real sturdy one and that's it. A 
simple standing desk. If you can just keep your body moving throughout the day, I mean, you guys have heard the thing sitting is the new smoking, right? Well, there's so much data now to support that it's a direct correlation between the amount of time we spend seated and our incidence of all chronic disease, whether it be heart disease, cancer, diabetes, what have you, obesity, all of these things go up the more hours we sit in a day. So if you can't do a standing desk, I would encourage you once every hour, move your body for one to three minutes, whether that's a quick lap around your workspace, up and down the flight of stairs, go around your house if you work from home, like whatever it is, something really, really simple, one to two minutes every hour, it'll profoundly change how you feel, but also your work productivity. So if your boss is like, hey, what are you doing every hour? Like, you know what? I'm going to be more productive. I'm going to be more creative. I'm going to get more crap done. Just, just wait and see. It's totally true, and it's so dang simple. So movement, no gym required. If you're a gym person, definitely do that. I'm not a gym guy. I like to be outdoors. I do have a home gym that's got a few things. You know, it's got a bench. It's got, you know, some dumbbells and things like that. So I do do some of that, but I don't go out and spend an hour or two a day at the regular gym. I just, it's hard for me to fit that in. <laughs> but if I'm standing here talking to you and I'm like bouncing around, moving up and down, I mean, I can literally like, I can grab the dumbbells that are at the foot of my desk and I can just move this stuff a little bit every hour. And not only do I feel great, but it helps my brain. There's literally a hormone, as you know it, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF, that gets released with exercise. That increases our mental capacity, our creativity, you know, our memory, like all of those things that our bosses want us to have. So we're super productive employees. That all goes up when we move our body. So Whatever you can do, just do it every day in some form. And you got to have something with weight training or resistance training. And it doesn't have to be with physical weights. It can be with your own body. But the days of like cardio every single day of the week and no weights, no resistance training, I hope that is just dead and over because that's just not enough. Cardio is great, but it's not sufficient, especially when you're like me and you're in your 50s and beyond. What's interesting is when you do resistance training as we age, there's even a greater positive effect than there would have been earlier on. So it's that much more beneficial and it's that much more critical because what you're working against is called age-dependent sarcopenia, which is muscle loss as we age, which most doctors out there will say is normal. BS, reject that. That is not normal. You do not have to lose muscle mass as you age because if you do, the data shows that your incidence of all of those chronic diseases that we're trying to avoid go up, your likelihood of having a fall, breaking a hip, your pelvis, what have you as you age, osteoporosis, you name it, all of that will go up if you lose muscle mass. Muscle mass is your greatest friend, not only for avoiding these diseases, but any of you want to have a better functioning metabolism out there, you want to have a quote faster metabolism, you want to burn more calories, get some more muscle. That's probably the best, simplest, and most effective way right there. So that's the movement. Well said. Yeah, so true. You know, there's so many benefits to lean muscle. You know, people call it the longevity organ. And there's a lot of truth to that. Because the more muscle you have, the more insulin sensitive you are too. It's like a sponge. So you could actually get away with more carbohydrates if you want. But uh, the goal is just to move. That's the M, right? In the FMSGs. It's, it's just move your body. That could be dancing after a meal. I think that's a wonderful idea. Getting up from your desk every hour, going to the gym, whatever it is, but get in those steps, get in the movement, add some resistance, and you're going to be on the right track there. Okay, so let me guess the S in MSG and FMSGs is sleep. Am I right? 
Yeah, that's the first one. Sleep. Sleep can be your superpower. And sadly, when I trained in medical school 20 plus years ago, not only did we not understand it, but we certainly did not appreciate it. And that's because, you know, we have so much new science. You know, 2006 was when um, Dr. Um, Jeffrey Illith and Nattergaard out of the University of Rochester described that whole system in the brain that flushes out toxins called the glymphatic system. That's pretty recent history, 2006. So when I was in medical school in the 90s, we had no idea why we needed to sleep. We knew if we didn't sleep, we performed more poorly, both on mental psychological testing as well as performance exercise type stuff. We knew we weren't at our best when we didn't sleep, but beyond that, we didn't know the tremendous benefits like this flushing of toxins and buildup of waste materials that happens throughout the day not, you know, tip of the iceberg or like the amyloid and, and things like that in our brain, but there's so many other toxins that, you know, that we're exposed to without even thinking about, you know, the heavy metals, the plastics, you name it, they're all out there. We're getting exposed to it all day long. Really, there's only one time where we can effectively flush the system, cleanse the system, take out the trash, refresh, revive, rejuvenate. And that's while we are sleeping. You know, this beautiful process that is referred to as autophagy can really only effectively occur when we're sleeping and not not eating, right? So there is a time where we got to fill our body with all these amazing nutrients, and then we need to take a break. And if we can space that out a bit, magical. But what most people don't realize is your best night's sleep can start with what you do those first few minutes of the morning. Get out, get some natural sunlight. It can be one minute, two minutes, whatever, but it's got to be outside. You know, just looking through the window, that doesn't quite cut it. The amount of luxes that are available is just way, way lower. Even if you got, you know, at the workplace, these fluorescent lights and stuff, just get outside for one or two minutes. And then the evening, when you're getting down to those final hours, you got to have a couple of curfews. One is you got to have a food curfew, right? You shouldn't be eating about three hours before bed. You should also have, this is the really hard one, is a device curfew. And this is really hard. My, my recommendation is you should take two hours off of this thing in the evening. That would be the best. I, I tell people start with one hour because that's just more doable. You know, the last final hour that you're up at night, use that to reflect, you know, whether that be for you, if you want to get in a warm tub, you know, if you want to do some gratitude journaling, if you want to do some meditation, I just like to bust out a book with natural light. I'm not, I'm not using fluorescent lights. I actually have one of these headlamps that has a red light here so that my vision doesn't get jacked and I'm not seeing blue light. And so you can get as sort of techie as you want. You can wear blue light blockers and things like that. But the best is just to avoid this thing altogether, at least an hour before bed. And you know, do that consistently and you'd be surprised how much better you sleep. And, and don't eat right before bed, obviously, right? We need this time to get into autophagy and it's not going to happen if we're eating right before bed. And so take two to three hours, hopefully it's closer to three, that you're not eating calories prior to bed. If you want to have like a nighttime tea that doesn't have really any calories in there, that's totally fine. I'm cool with that. Obviously, you're not going to be drinking coffee, especially not with caffeine, at least within six hours of bedtime. Hopefully it's closer to 12 hours of bedtime. But it's got to be a routine. Like I got kids, I got six kids, and I, for them to have them sleep well at night, they have to have a very specific routine. Well, guess what, Ben? We as adults need routine too. You know, you should go to bed roughly the same time every evening, even on the weekends. You know, once in a while, if you got friends in town, you're going to stay out a little later. That's fine. But just don't make it, you know, that often that that occurs. Try to have a pretty consistent bedtime, have a pretty regular routine that you do. And then all the usual stuff that you hear about, you got to have a dark room, got to be a cool room, got to be a quiet room. You know, do you need, you know, the blackout shades, the earplugs, you know, the AC, whatever you need to get to that, you know, optimal sleep 
cave, as I call it for dudes, you know, we all know about the man cave. Well, you should have a sleep cave too. It should be a place where it can be peaceful, quiet, cool, dark, all the things, but routine is critical. And as soon as you start appreciating that, that could be the missing link with your metabolism. It can literally reset your hormones if you get a good night's sleep. And you know this, I'm sure, but all your listeners probably as well, that you know the human growth hormone that we really desire to help with our metabolism, our muscle mass, all of that, like the biggest release is around 10 p.m. So if we are getting to bed at midnight or later every night, we're literally missing that free boost that we could have each and every evening if we get to bed a little earlier. Like our ancestors is, when the sun goes down, we should be kind of moving towards Towards bedtime. And when the sun comes up, we should be awake. We shouldn't be using the blackouts in the morning. We should be letting that light in. We should be waking up. We're getting outdoors and getting some of it. So the routine is critical and it actually can be quite easy. Yeah, I love that. Sleep is so fundamental and foundational. You could be doing the perfect diet and moving your body, which is great. It's part of your first steps there. But if you're not optimizing your sleep, you're going to just be going one step forward, one step back. So morning routine is key for a good night of sleep. I love that. I get sunshine every morning. I walk my dog with the sunrise, get 20 minutes of sunlight, not wearing any sunglasses. I'm letting the light penetrate my retina. My circadian rhythm is so dialed in. Like my body knows, 9.30 p.m.? Okay, you better be going to bed because you're getting tired. Like I'm so dialed in. So I love that. It's so important to optimize your sleep. And there's so many ways to do that. And your book is going to discuss all that. If you watch any of my videos on social media, you always see me with glasses on. And I always get the question, hey, why are you wearing those glasses? These are called blue light blocking glasses. And I wear them to protect my brain and my focus. You see, we are bombarded with stimulation, especially with junk light from your computer screen, your phone, fluorescent lights, and the brain has to filter that out. These glasses, what they do is they filter out those lights for you so your brain does not have to do the work. I equate this to having a web browser open with 100 tabs. If you had 100 tabs open on your computer, that computer is going to run slow. But if you were able to eliminate 99 of those 100 tabs, and now you just have one tab open, that computer will function better. This is the same thing with your brain. So there's different types of blue light blocking glasses. There are computer glasses that you would wear during the day when working with screens and under artificial light. There are light sensitivity glasses that you would also wear during the day with screens and artificial light. And then you have the blue light blocking glasses, which I wear at night, two to three hours before I go to bed, which promotes hormone health, helps your body produce melatonin, and aids in better sleep. My go-to is from Bon Charge. They have the science to back it up. They look super cool. The glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, and reading options. Glasses for every need. Bon Charge also has other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, EMF slash 5G protection, and 100% blackout sleep mask that I take with me when I travel all the time. The greatest thing about them, all backed up by science. They gave Keto Camp Podcast listeners a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do is head over to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout, no space in between, to get 15% off your entire order. We'll drop that link down below along with the coupon code. Go check them out and let's get back to this episode. What's the final, the G in FMSG? The G is actually 
really, really important. It's gut health, the health of that microbiota that we referred to a little bit earlier. But the cool thing about getting your gut healthy is when you do all the other things, you're optimizing your foods, you know, you're optimizing your sleep routine, you're optimizing your movement. The last thing, the last S, the final S is stress. You need to optimize your stress because all of us have so much that we have to deal with on a daily basis, especially these last couple of years of pandemic. It's been ridiculous. Our stress has just gone through the roof. But the cool thing is that most of it lies right here. There was a 2012 study by Keller and colleagues, and this showed that basically what lives here is one of the biggest determinants. They looked at over 180,000 people, and they had them rate their stresses as basically a high level, a medium level, or a low level. And then they followed them for a couple of decades, and they found out who was dying quicker, who had the most you know, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, all these things. And the first finding, they kind of predicted. You know, The people that had very high stress, some of them had an increased risk of dying, increased risk of all these comorbidities like diabetes, heart disease, and all this. But within that same group that had the highest level of stress, there was a subset there that actually had a protective effect from that stress. In other words, they did not die younger. They did not get as much heart disease, cancer, diabetes, all these things, because they believed the meaning that they attached to stress for them was that it could be a positive thing. It could be a growth promoting experience. It could be something beneficial. And so their view of that same stress was a positive one, and it actually was the opposite. It was not detrimental to their health. It was actually protective. So it all starts with what's here, our meaning that we attach to it. And the cool thing, just like all these other things, Ben, is we get to decide that each and every day. And then there's a lot of nuance to the techniques we can use, whether it's breath work. I mean, you can change your state. Most people know this within five breaths. You do a box breath, you know, each breath is going to take about 12 seconds. That's one minute of breathing can literally change your entire physiology. Also a quick burst of exercise, whether that be drop down and do a plank for one minute or do 10, you know, standing air squats or lunges or whatever that you can literally change your physiology on a dime and get rid of that high sort of stress, adrenaline, you know, all of these things that are pumping up our blood pressure, pumping up our cortisol, you know, which if you're running from a tiger, you want that, but you don't want that happening each and every day, day in and day out. You have to have techniques to optimize the stress in your life. And I get all into that in the book. So that's the final S and that kind of wraps the FMSGs. <laughs> I love it. It's a great overview of how to be preventable, how to how to prevent disease, how to prevent symptoms, because we are brainwashed to believe that symptoms and diseases are evil. But in fact, it's a gift from your human body showing you your check engine light. But what if you could get to a point where you don't have to have that check engine light, you could be preventable here. So where's the best place for my audience to go get your book, Doc? Yeah, easiest place, just hop on over to my website, which is just my name, thomashemingway.com, T-H-O-M-A-S, and then Hemingway, just like Ernest spelled it with one M. I'm on Instagram as well, Dr. Thomas Hemingway, Dr. Thomas Hemingway. There's also a book site called the thepreventablebook.com. It's, it's going to be up on Amazon as of the 14th of uh, February. It should be up and running there, but you can also get it on pre-order today. Uh, as you saw, thepreventablebook.com um, has a link to that. And um, yeah, just follow me on Instagram, Dr. Thomas Hemingway, or just hop on over to thomashemingway.com and you can pre-order that thing today. It's, uh, it's going to be amazing. Can't wait to get that word out to everybody. It sounds amazing. I got my pre-order and everybody go get yours. If you're watching on YouTube, we'll put the link down below. If you're listening, we'll put the link down below. I do have a final question. We have one more minute. You mentioned the G in there, which is gut health. 
I think that's very important. I have another G for you. I call it vitamin G. It's gratitude. And I guess that's in the yeah. S part, right? Yeah. So it's my under question, the stress optimization. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So my question for you is what are you grateful for today? You know, I am grateful for every moment I get to spend with the people I love. You know, family and connection for me is number one. And every day is a new day and a gift. It's really a gift. You know, in my background, being in the emergency setting, seeing people lose their lives from all different things, car accidents, other events that occur, like just cherish and value each and every day with those that you love. And for right now, for me, it's my family. I'm spending every moment that I can with my mother who is having some real challenges right now with cancer. And and like every day that I get to spend with her is beautiful. So make every day count. You know, don't think about tomorrow. Be in the moment. Connect with the people you love and care about, whether they be family, friends, or even your favorite, you know, canine or feline friend. Like, it's so important. Connect with those you love and be in the moment and just appreciate life. It's a gift. It truly is a gift. Beautiful, brother. Thank you, Doc, for coming on the show. I appreciate you and I'm excited for your book. Everybody go get it. So thanks again, Thomas. Awesome. I can't wait to see you on the Unshakable Health Show in a couple of weeks as well, Ben. I can't wait to have you on. And I just appreciate you. Appreciate your audience. You guys have an amazing day. Big aloha and mahalo for having me here. Thank you so much. Everybody go subscribe to that podcast, Unshakable Health Podcast. That's Thomas's podcast. I'll be on there soon. So thank you again, Thomas. All right. Take care, man. Have an amazing day. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. Please share this with somebody you know, post it on social media. If you want to watch the video version, that's on our YouTube channel, Keto Camp on YouTube. Go get his book, thepreventablebook.com. We'll drop a link down below, including show notes and the sponsor links that we mentioned, and everything can be found in the podcast notes down below. Please consider leaving the show a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening from today. Follow Thomas on his social media handles. We'll drop that in the notes as well. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with Thomas and myself. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.